Hi, this is Jay, and welcome to Potstir Podcast. The past couple of weeks have been a bit hectic. I've been recovering from minor surgery. I've been taking care of my cat Spock's health issues. She's doing better now, by the way, and other life stuff. I also got a new computer, and that means reorganizing my podcasting-related files. So needless to say, I'm a bit behind on the new episodes, but I am gathering sources for the research into the next couple of episodes of Potstirer Podcast. In the meantime, I did want to make sure I posted something for you to listen to. I'm releasing this bonus episode that was originally released on Patreon back in August 2019. I had a milestone birthday last month, and Memorial Day is later this month. This time of year gets me in the mood of reflecting on the past and looking towards the future. Back in 2019, two people who had been influential in shaping my worldview as a young adult passed away. And this was my way of remembering them. Late last year, I released a Patreon bonus episode of Potstirer Podcast, where I discussed author Joshua Harris essentially recanting the Christian self-help book that made him famous, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and releasing a movie, I Survived I Kiss Dating Goodbye, that included interviews with a number of people about the impact of his book and the purity culture surrounding it. It was from December of last year. Definitely check that out. Having read the book during college, while I was deep into evangelical Christianity, I Kiss Dating Goodbye among several other similar books, led me to carry some unhealthy attitudes towards relationships and sex. So it was a bit vindicating to see Harris, 20 years after writing the book, backtracking or at least rethinking some of what he wrote. It wasn't a complete and total disavowal of purity culture, but it was more than what can typically be expected of most evangelical leaders, who see admitting they were wrong as anathema. So he at least got some respect from me for that. Recently, Josh Harris announced his separation from his wife Shannon, and an impending divorce is hinted at in the Instagram announcement. This news has blown up in both evangelical and ex-evangelical circles. I've seen a lot of reactions to the news, which can be expected when a man who wrote a book once considered the authority on marriage for young evangelicals tells the world his own marriage has gone up in flames. On social media, the reactions I've seen from evangelicals have been either anger and judgment or sadness because of the divorce and the breakup of their family, or a feeling that the book didn't work for the Harrises, but worked for them, so it's still valid. From ex-evangelicals, I've seen either vindication that I Kiss Dating Goodbye clearly didn't work since it didn't work for the Harrises, schadenfreude since Josh Harris is experiencing some of the brokenness the book caused them, or sadness because of the effect of divorce on children. An extra dimension to this is that it appears that both are deconstructing from evangelical Christianity. Shannon Baum is in the midst of working on a play about evangelicalism and has alluded to deconstruction and leaving evangelical Christianity in her social media posts. Josh Harris announced on July 26th on Instagram that he is also deconstructing and no longer considers himself a Christian. Whether or not this has led to their marriage ending, and of course there's no way to know since none of us are in their marriage, 
and the couple hasn't said this, but if that's the case, it wouldn't be surprising since changes in religious outlook can lead to strain on a marriage and can lead to divorce. I'm loath to rejoice in the Harris's divorce because whether it's a source of pain or relief for them, it's still a time of upheaval for themselves and for their children. A major change in their entire belief system is likely to exacerbate that. Also, as someone who is married, I know that marriage is hard and there are often things going on in marriages that outsiders are not aware of, so it really is not my place to judge their situation. But the idea of deconstruction and change is something I want to get into. The theme of change is something I think about a lot and it's something that I've been reflecting on more recently. I want to explore this with you in this month's Patreon bonus episode of Potstirer Podcast. I am your host, Jay Poole, and this is Potstirer Podcast. I wish that I could say that who I am now is who I've always been. In some ways, my core is the same, but in other ways, not so much. I owe the woman I am now to a lot of different influences. My parents, my family members, teachers, faith leaders, and many others. But there are two people who stick out who I met while I was in school that made a long-lasting difference in my life. Both of them passed away this summer, within weeks of one another. Both of these men made a difference in the lives of not only myself, but so many others, students, faculty and staff, and surely many others that they came across during their lives. At the end of June, one of my grad school professors, George F. Bishop, died after illness. He had been a professor in the political science department at University of Cincinnati, and had also been involved with the university's Institute for Policy Research. Dr. Bishop had been affiliated with the university for decades and had retired in 2011. His expertise was in public opinion and survey methodology, and he wrote several publications during his lifetime, focused on public opinion and political behavior. Dr. Bishop was incredibly smart with an engaging teaching style. He was great at making his students critically think and encouraging them to approach issues with a skeptical eye. His students were definitely devoted to him because he was truly an expert, great at what he did, and willing to share his knowledge with us. Then, in mid-July, I found out that a friend and former supervisor, Chris Hallam, had died after a four-year fight against cancer. Hallam, as many of us knew him, had dedicated much of his life to residence education. Having been an associate residence director at University of Cincinnati, then in mid July I found out that then in mid July I found out that a friend uh, then in mid July I found out that a friend and former supervisor Chris Hallam had died after a four year fight against cancer. Hallam, as many of us knew him, had dedicated much of his life to residence education, having been associate housing director at University of Cincinnati before his illness forced him to resign. He had also spent several years rising up the ranks at The Ohio State University in the Department of Residence Life, eventually achieving a high-level position there before moving on to UC. Ohio State is actually where I met him. Helen was a caring, energetic, 
funny, supportive, and amazing person who had a way of touching the lives of so many people. He was so passionate about what he did and truly had a heart for students. Both Hallam and Dr. Bishop were in my life at different times, and as far as I know, they never knew each other, but both planted seeds and helped to shape who I am today. These seeds led me to question what I was being taught, what I thought I knew, and that eventually led me into deconstruction. When I was an undergrad at The Ohio State University, I was pretty hardcore into evangelical Christianity. I was more focused on trying to be a good Christian than anything else. I did go to class and go to work, but I tended to focus more on InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which was the campus ministry I was involved in, and hanging out with my friends, who were also hardcore Christian, more than my other commitments. Because of this, I did perform as well grade-wise in college as I could have, and I spent the last two years in college working extra hard to improve my GPA for a shot at going to a decent grad school. I was a resident advisor in the dorms, which at OSU were also referred to as residence homes, and this was in my third and fourth years of school. So my third year, year one as an RA, I'll be honest, I sucked at the job. In retrospect, I sucked because of a combination of then untreated social anxiety and my evangelical Christianity, which manifested itself in ways that were really cringy. Let me give you an example. It was year one and Halloween rolled around. And of course, the residents wanted to do something for it. I wasn't going to stop them from doing what they wanted for Halloween, but I was unwilling to do anything to facilitate it because I didn't celebrate Halloween. It was a holdover from when I was a kid. My mom didn't believe in doing anything for Halloween because she believed it was the devil's day. So we never trick-or-treated or dressed up for the occasion. When I became a Christian my first year of college, I took on the whole not celebrating Halloween thing as my own. So by my third year in college, I was pretty hardcore. But I also knew that I couldn't make my residents adhere to my religion. So I had them plan it on their own and I passively stayed out of it without stating specifically why I wasn't going to be involved. My residents worked with the other RA on the floor to make Halloween decorating and fun happen. The unintended consequence was that the residents bonded with the other RA on the floor, but were distant from me for much of the year. I thought at the time that I was approachable, but my residents just didn't like me. But looking back, not being involved in the fun times they wanted to have set the tone for the year, and I'm sure I came off as being a pretentious dick. By the end of the year, I was very surprised that I was asked back to be an RA the next year. Very surprised. For my senior year, I would be placed in the same hall and on the same floor. I would also work under the same hall director, which was great because despite my shortcomings, I got along with my HD. But this year, our building would have a different assistant hall director. Enter Hallam. Normally, that wouldn't matter much. We would work with both the HD and the AHD, but the main boss was the HD, so we probably worked with them the most. But by the time we were in training that year, come to find out, our HD would be gone for most of the year because she accepted a position for semester at C. Instead of them appointing a different hall director for the year, our AHD, Hallam, would be our acting hall director. So about two or three weeks before school starts and students move in, 
RAs and directing staff would move into the residence halls and start daily training sessions. So I would be working with Hal that year, who I didn't know before that year, but right off the bat, he gave me a great impression. I got a chance to hang out with him. He seemed cool, fun, approachable. He was a great storyteller. Okay, this was going to be cool. Then, Hallam mentions in passing that he is also gay. This was the first time I worked under someone who was openly part of the LGBTQ community. I was a bit nervous about this because as an evangelical, but an evangelical at a place like Ohio State, my opinions on people who were LGBTQ at the time were conflicted. My beliefs at the time were that being LGBTQ was a sin because the church taught it and they claimed the Bible made it clear that it was wrong, which I learned later is not true as I discussed more in depth in episodes 48 and 51. I don't recall LGBTQ people or issues really being talked about in university when I was in it, but assumptions were quite heteronormative. At the same time, I also didn't think that people who were LGBTQ were bad people. I had met others who were gay and lesbian earlier in college and had a hard time with the idea that they were living in sin because of something they didn't ask for, who they were attracted to. Despite the fact that my opinions at the time were indeed problematic and homophobic, I could never buy into the idea propagated by evangelicals in leadership that homosexuality and other LGBTQ identities were a choice. The belief that LGBTQ people choose their orientation or gender identity, and this was over 15 years ago, it seems stupid to me. Yes, I was overthinking my new boss's sexual orientation way too much, but I was like, okay, this will be fine, and I eventually put it out of my mind. Each night during training, when we would return to our hall, one of us would give a brief introduction of who we were, where we were from, and what was important to us. This could be anything. Singing, dancing, sports, service, whatever student organization we were a part of, you name it. Of course, when my turn came up, I mentioned that I was a strong Christian and that I was involved in student leadership for InterVarsity. Later on that night, as I was just relaxing in my room with my door open, Hal stopped by and wanted to chat with me. He confessed that when he heard what I shared earlier that night, it made him apprehensive because he knew that a lot of Christians tended to hold anti-gay sentiments, and he was concerned that his sharing that he was gay earlier in the training had may have made me uncomfortable. I first told him that this didn't make me uncomfortable, which wasn't completely true given all of the hemming and hawing that I did mentally before this conversation took place. But I knew even then that that wasn't his problem. That was my problem. So I was going to put that on him. But further on in the conversation, I did reveal that I had anti-gay beliefs that came from my religion. But I recognized that I could be wrong and it was something I struggled with. This ended up being a very revealing, intimate conversation, which became a series of conversations to where we learned about each other's lives. Our conversation gave me new insight into being LGBTQ from his perspective, and Helen was willing to be real and vulnerable with me. He didn't owe me that. And I wouldn't ask or recommend marginalized people do that. But it was a gift. Over the course of that year, Helen and I got to know each other as people, and we became friends. Helen was a moderating influence when I really needed that intervention. And yes, 
he helped me be a better RA. But beyond that, his friendship and the things he taught me that year meant something beyond that time when I was in college, more than he could ever know. I did later tell him, but words could not express what he meant to me at that time in my life and beyond. So I would say that Tom's influence was one seed. Dr. Bishop's influence was another. Something different, but still invaluable. I graduated from Ohio State in 2003 and went straight to UC for grad school. I chose UC because of my interest in American politics and religion that was cultivated from the experiences I had in undergrad. And there were a couple of professors there, including Dr. Bishop, who were experts in the subject matter. Now, grad school has different demands on your time. So instead of spending most of my time hanging out with evangelical Christians, I hung out with my grad school cohort, as well as an old friend from undergrad I knew from university who, by this point, had left religion. My cohort was primarily older than me, they were well-traveled, someone married, and had had the kinds of worldly experiences I didn't have. I was way out of my element, and I constantly felt like I needed to catch up. I also got to know my professors. Dr. Bishop, in particular, was a captivating person and a great mentor. He worked with me on my first poster session for an academic conference, and he was helpful in terms of teaching me how to network, how to ingratiate myself with the right people. Learning about wine, that came from him. I have met his wife a couple of times, most notably when we were all in line to watch then-Senator Barack Obama speak at the university during the 2008 presidential campaign. And I knew his daughter from church, which, as you'll find out in a second, was well, something. Of course, I took Dr. Bishop's courses, including his split undergrad-grad course in religion and politics. This was an interesting experience because he was a pretty hardcore atheist. Ironic, I know, that an atheist was teaching a course on religion. Many of the students took Bishop's religion and politics course because they shared a similar outlook on religion. Most were agnostic or atheist. I learned the term recovering Catholic for the first time. And he was engaging. I was the only Christian, or at least the only vocal one. And all the Christian apologetics I learned in university from undergrad weren't particularly helpful here. There were a number of times I would debate in class with my classmates, as well as with Dr. Bishop. I didn't debate everything I do. I wasn't politically conservative, and I had softened my stances on some issues, including LGBTQ issues at this point. I just didn't buy at the time the idea that the faith itself could be the problem. Bishop would note that people often did not behave rationally or objectively, only becoming outraged as he would say, when their own oxes bored. He was right. Dr. Bishop taught me to develop the courage to question everything. Everything, including the beliefs I held dear. You see, grad school was an extremely difficult transition. I went from having killed it my last two years in college academically to starting my PhD coursework, feeling like I knew nothing at all. Imposter syndrome was all too real. While my grades were high in grad school, and later I was able to pass my comprehensive exam with flying colors, I always had this feeling like I was playing catch-up. At the time, I was still super evangelical and pretty vocal about that. But internally, 
I was having a crisis of faith. The easy answers that came from my faith that worked in undergrad, in the echo chamber of university and my local storefront church in Columbus, were hard to come by in grad school in the harsher environment of Cincinnati. I joined a grad student Bible study, and I started attending the local vineyard. But this community was different. Instead of being surrounded by an evangelical Christian community influenced by the cross-cultural ministry movement, I was around ultra-conservative Christians, complete with judgment of the poor and casual racism. Not all of them, mind you, but enough that it was jarring. These were the kinds that would, over a decade later, wholeheartedly embrace Donald Trump. I felt isolated in my own religious community. Life during this four-year period, my first stint in Cincinnati, felt all too real. Being witness to those I was close to suffering from substance abuse, domestic abuse, divorce, mental illness, along with my own familiar yet increasing feelings of loneliness and inadequacy, and fighting depression. These were the kinds of things that my faith didn't have easy answers for, or at least easy answers that provided any help or comfort at that point in time. My dad dying suddenly during this period intensified the struggle. So yes, there was a lot going on. There are studies that find that those who are the most unsure in their faith are the most likely to feel the need to defend it. Apologetics is more for believers than non-believers. I think I've discussed this in other episodes, but yes, this was me for sure. Yet the influences of both of these people got me through this period and on the road to deconstruction and freedom from evangelicalism. My dissertation focused on the role of religion and race in political behavior, focusing on white evangelicals and black Protestants. So while I was doing this, I began to question everything. First, as an exercise in academic integrity, it took me much longer than it should have to finish. And while Dr. Bishop retired during the writing process, his advice was helpful in me getting it done. He also helped a great deal when I took over his religion and politics course for a quarter after he left teaching. But his key advice, to be skeptical, to question even when it's uncomfortable, when my own ox was gored, that eventually went beyond academic research and into my real life. And I began deconstructing from evangelicalism, releasing myself from the binds of this toxic, cultish version of Christianity, purity culture, judgmentalism, Eurocentrism and white supremacy, fully engaging, questioning, challenging the parts of evangelical Christianity that didn't make sense, which come to find out is just about all of it, well before I knew it even had a name in a community. Once you begin to truly question, so much comes apart. The other shoe that dropped was that my younger sister came out as lesbian. My sister and I are only a few years apart in age, and so growing up, we had a great deal of sibling rivalry. We fought a lot, that kind of thing. We were very different people with different personalities, different interests, all of that. Didn't have a lot in common. Didn't have much to bond over. But here's the thing. Like I mentioned before, back at the tail end of undergrad at Ohio State, Callum planted a seed in my life. I see my friendship with him as a turning point in my life. As I deconstructed, I ran with what he taught me and what I learned from his example and dug deeper later on, seeking to learn more about what it meant to be LGBTQ, what the Bible truly said about sexual orientation and gender identity on my own. And here's the thing, 
even if the Bible actually said what evangelical Christianity says it does, which it doesn't, I can no longer buy into the idea that being LGBTQ was a sin or that people were wrong for living their truth. The fact of the matter is that most people who are of religious faith, especially faiths that have a great deal of history, scholarship, philosophical debate, and so on surrounding it, are going to pick and choose the tenets of their faith they will live with. The reason being is that most religion is full of contradictions. It's impossible to maintain an internally consistent belief system across generations, millennia, and disparate cultures. My dad used to always say of any kind of philosophy, teaching, or belief system, take what you can use and throw the rest away. The reason I come down on evangelicals for this is because of their belief in the Bible being the inspired or even literal word of God and their penchant for condemning others based on what they consider biblical. Your beliefs, whether they're based in religious faith or otherwise, should make you better, not worse. And it seems like a lot of evangelicals too often lean into their worst impulses, using their religion as a get-out-of-jail-free card while condemning other people, instead of using their faith to challenge themselves to actually be better humans. Anyway, back to my sister. Because of the years of deconstruction and transformation, when she came out and she didn't receive as much support from family as she anticipated, she was able to talk to and lean on me because I was able and willing to affirm her for who she was without qualification. Being affirming of my sister's sexual orientation and being vocally supportive of her opened the door to us developing a closer relationship than we ever had as kids or even as young adults. And over time, realizing that in a number of ways, we weren't quite as different from each other as we thought. So in an indirect, convoluted, but significant way, Callum's influence led me to have a better relationship with my sister. That is one hell of a gift, and I will forever be in his debt. My only hope is to be able to pay it forward in some small way. In the summer of 2019, the world lost these two people who really made an impact on the world around them. They both contributed to my deconstruction from evangelical Christianity, both in heart and mind, and I'm sure they impacted the lives of so many others as well. I am still a Christian, but I practice in a way that allows me to embrace the best of what my faith has to offer while discarding what doesn't, to where I hope every day that my impact can be even half of those who have impacted my life. I don't envy the Harrises going through their deconstruction from evangelicalism in public. Josh Harris was once considered the poster child for Christian homeschooling and purity culture. His marriage to Shannon Bond shortly after his bestseller, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, came out, was viewed by the American evangelical community as validation for what was prescribed in the book. But the thing is, evangelical Christianity is rife with toxic theology, and change can be a good thing. I wish the best for them both. The other takeaway is this. Take stock of the mentors, the wise friends, those who have gone above and beyond to share their knowledge and experiences and do the heavy lifting, those who have planted a seed in your life and have influenced you to become a better person. Be thankful for those who help you grow because we rarely, if ever, change for the better without a little help and guidance. And if you can, tell them. Thank you so much for listening to this bonus episode of Potstirer Podcast. 
If you enjoyed the episode, check out the regular episodes and subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Prime, or on your favorite podcast app. Go to potstirrerpodcast.com slash download and you'll see the links. Subscribing gets you new episodes once they come out so you don't have to wait. If you enjoy the podcast, please give it five stars and leave a review. And I'm always on Twitter, so follow me there at PotstirrerCast. I'm Jay Poole. Let's fight for America's future because freedom is not free. Bye.